Good morning. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not give an insult, but give a blessing instead, especially to those who are against you. This seems like such an overwhelming expectation, but we're encouraged to live in such a way that blessings become proven in suffering. When adversity presses in, the call of faith is to bless, not retaliate. This is yet another way that we can live proven with solid faith in a shifting world. If 1 Peter 1.7 tells us that the genuineness of our faith can be proven, so blessings can become proven in our suffering. Because God has been so rich in his mercy toward us, we bless others. This represents the heart of the message discovered in 1 Peter chapter 3, a message Peter offered to the persecuted church. One of the harshest realities of life in a fallen world is that people sometimes suffer even while doing good. But in our suffering, we endure. 1 Peter 2 verse 20 tells us that when we do right and suffer and patiently endure, we find favor with God. Not only do we endure in our suffering, but we bless through our suffering. 1 Peter 3 9, do not insult, but give a blessing. So I'd like to share with you how you can be a person of blessing, how you can bless others and recognize your own spiritual blessings. From 1 Peter 3, two realities are observed. We are people of blessing, so we bless others. We are people of blessing because we have also been blessed spiritually. So let's begin with verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Here we discover that there is no main verb in this opening verse, verse 8. So this continues a list of commands that have come before. And so when you open up to verse 8 and see the word finally, this doesn't conclude the book, but rather wraps up an incredible section on how to live in adversity. How do we become a blessing in difficulties? Here's the list of ways, five to be exact. First, live harmoniously. The Greek term gives us the idea of one mind. A spirit produced unity. We are called to be at peace with all others, Romans 12, 18. So how do you become a blessing to others? Live in harmony with all others. This is how you become a blessing. Second, straight from verse 8, be sympathetic. Transliterated from the Greek, sympathes, this word actually indicates that we enter into the pains, concerns, and even joys of the other person. This represents Paul's powerful image of the body of believers, the church. We rejoice when others rejoice, and we hurt when others hurt. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. So how do we bless others? By being sympathetic. Third, we bless others by loving as brothers. I love this. The word kind-hearted in verse 8 expresses something much deeper than merely a camaraderie. Here is represented a familial responsibility. The image and significance of the spiritual family and our personal responsibility to brothers and sisters of faith consistently remain on Peter's mind, and it should remain on our mind as well. This is how we bless others. We, we love the family like a brotherly love. Fourth, how do we bless others? According to verse 8, 
with compassion. We are to be compassionate. Oh, this term is rich in meaning. From Greek terminology, splagnos, this word actually references the visceral organs, the deep place of one's life, of one's gut. This is the idea of a deep stirring passion. This was the word the Greeks used to describe their courage. But here, this deep and moving felt compassion references the love we should have for one another. So how do we bless others? With a deep and abiding love, not a flimsy expression of endearment. Fifth, how do we bless others? By being humble. According to verse 8, we're called to be humble. Uh, uh, The scholar Joseph H. Thayer writes this. Being humble represents... A deep sense of one's littleness. I love this. We, we humble ourselves so that the importance of the other person is increased. So practically, according to verse 8, how do we bless others? We bless others by living in harmony, by being sympathetic, entering into their pain and their joys, by loving like a brother or a family, through compassion, and then with humility, seeing myself lower than the person in front of me. This is how we bless others. Oh, dear friend, we are called to be a blessing to others. Madeline Dorado, at age 23, qualified for the 2016 Olympics. She was viewed by Olympic standards as a late bloomer. She had missed qualifying in 2012, and she knew that 2016 would be her only chance to compete in the Olympic Games. She competed in the 400 meter, the 200 meter, and the 200 meter backstroke of the swimming events. She credited her coach for pushing her to, a, to try out for the Olympic team. And, and while this was her goal, this was not her purpose. She told Yahoo Sports, I don't think God cares much about my swimming. This is not my end purpose to make the Olympic team. When, when they ask what she thinks God does care about, as she prepares for the Olympics, she replied, I think God cares about my soul and whether I'm bringing his love and mercy into the world. Can I be a loving, supportive teammate? And can I bless others around me in the same way God has been so generous with me? Well, how did she do in her events? Uh, she medaled four times, uh, one bronze, one silver, and two golds. But we borrow from her testimony that which is most important, that which we hear from First Peter. Can I bless others around me in the way God has been so generous to me? Oh, dear friend, we are called to bless others. Now, you may be thinking, I do not have what it takes to live like that, to live and to bless others, especially when others are against me. But I would argue that you do have what it takes, for the proof is right before your eyes, you are indeed blessed. I had the privilege of knowing a strong political and government leader from East Texas, Beth Ireland, and her husband, James, who was a math teacher at the local high school. I knew them both well. They were full of life. I mean, real life. She in her political office, he in his classroom. They would often visit the congregation I pastored. And on one of those visits, even before I spotted them in the gathering, As soon as I began preaching, I knew they were there because they did not mind talking to the pastor while he preached. Oh, a blessing, a blessing indeed. I had the sad and yet beautiful honor to preach both of their funerals, some three years apart, first his and then her funeral. The entire time I knew Beth, with each greeting, good morning, Beth, or how are you today, she would reply, oh, I am blessed. Every single time, 
I quickly learned she responded that way to everyone and did so most of her life. Oh, I am blessed. I saw Beth fight cancer. I saw that horrible disease take its toll on her, on her body, that is, but not her true self. For even in the midst of extreme suffering and pain, Beth would say with each visit or greeting, Oh, I am blessed. When I stood before the several hundred who came to her funeral from all over the state of Texas, I looked at that diverse crowd as her memorial service began. And with an unexpected casual approach, I said to the crowd, Good morning, everyone. How are you? And spontaneously, but in perfect harmony, the entire gathering said, Oh, I'm blessed. Uh, This dear sister had a great way of infecting our lives with that beautiful statement. And I want to say to you today, barring from Beth's life, you are blessed. You are extremely blessed. You as a child of God already possess all that you need to be a blessing to others. You have what it takes to do as verse 9 prescribes. Not to give an insult, but to give a blessing instead. The first reality Peter observed was that we are people of blessing, and so we bless others. But notice this second reality. We are people of blessing because we have been spiritually blessed. We have our own spiritual blessings Christ has given us. So in verse 9 and following, we do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, for we are blessed. And in our blessing, which we don't deserve, how can we curse others thinking that that's what they deserve? This represents Peter's way of reminding the church of our countercultural essence and the genuine cohesiveness among Christians. We, we are graciously placed on the path that leads to the inheritance of the Father, meaning the fulfillment of abundant life. Look in verse 9 of 1 Peter 3. Do you see this phrase? We do not insult, but we give a blessing, because to this we were called to inherit a blessing. This inheritance indicates that God has settled his everlasting favor on us. Inheritance is always received, never earned. And our spiritual journey toward the fulfillment of our inheritance involves living out that blessing before others. Our blessing is the spiritual inheritance that calls forth from us the desire to be a blessing to others. Because the term this refers to that which is to come, one can actually interpret verse 9 as stating, blessed because you have been called to this, that you will inherit a blessing. We bless others because we've been blessed by Jesus. So what are our blessings? First, We are people of blessing because God has us. He truly has us. Look at verses 10 through 12, which actually reference Psalm 34. Verse 10 reads this way. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Verse 11. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. These verses are direct quotes from Psalm 34. The history of this psalm is discovered in verse 4 from the Old Testament passage, Psalm 34, where the term fear or terror is used. When David himself said, I sought the Lord and he rescued me from all my fears. Now follow this closely. Translating that Hebrew passage into Greek so that we might better understand Peter's writing, the idea of fear 
is expressed in a term that can mean sojourning. This indicates that the history of Psalm 34, quoted here, most probably referenced the fears of David when he sojourned from Judah and lived among the Philistines. This points to the context of the first century Christians who were sojourning, uh, the same word is used in 1 Peter 1.17, as they lived scattered because of the persecution from Nero. As God delivered David from the fears of his sojourns, so God will deliver his own, those in Peter's audience and those in this audience today. Notice how this reference to Psalm 34 begins. Loving life and seeing good days describes both the present temporal and the future days of God's people all the way through to eternity and further references our blessed lives as God having us even in the midst of trials, even as he had David in a foreign land. There's no need to simply retaliate. Verse 10, keep your tongue from evil. We must instead live righteously before God. Verse 11, for God's justice is revealed as he gives ear to the righteous and those who seek peace, for he's against those who do evil. Verse 12, bless others and don't retaliate for God has you. This is our blessing. He has you indeed. And God also has your enemy, your adversity. So don't panic and don't try to reverse your adverse circumstance simply with the activity of your carnal man. For God opposes him. Instead, seek God and trust him. He has you. What a great blessing. Maybe you can relate to this quote from the great preacher Vance Havner. This is what he wrote. I get a little weary of these dear souls who have all the dealing and doing of God's providence categorized and, and cataloged and figured out so that they can give a glib little answer to your heartache. And they haven't been very far in their faith. God just doesn't operate on our timetable. And some of his operations don't add up on our computers. But it is still God who is at work. So trust him. So even when your situation is not working out like you would order, God has you. This should cause you not to make the adversity the issue, thus controlling your actions and attitudes. But the issue of your life is that God has you so that that truth controls you, causing you to bless others. So this is your blessing. God has you. Now, there's a second blessing. We pick up in verse 13. We're a people of blessing. Because Jesus represents the standard for our life. Reading from verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Another translation states, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Meaning, always set apart Christ as Lord. In your soul, your emotions, will, and mind, see Christ Jesus as holy. Sanctify him in your heart, set apart as holy, and then respond according to his holiness. This is your standard for life. He is your Lord. God has placed you uh, because Jesus is over you. Live set apart and his life will flow over you and through you as you bless others. Do not expect to bless others if you're playing with the idea of his lordship. But if he is truly Lord, you'll indeed become a blessing to others for you are blessed indeed under his lordship. Uh, continuing in verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And do this with gentleness and with respect. Jesus is our standard because 
He has set apart as Lord in our lives. But he's also a standard because he's our living hope, our confidence and our guarantee. So live confidently in him. This is why you are blessed. Verse 16, keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Jesus is our standard so we can trust his defense. He is your vindication. He's your advocate. Others may be against you. Others may slander you. But Jesus has you. Live safe and defended. Do not live defensive, but live defended. You're blessed. Jesus is your standard. So this is your blessing. Christ Jesus, the standard for your life. And this is how you will bless others. You will have him over your life and within you, and he'll flow forth from you. There's a third and a final blessing from this passage. Third, we are people of blessing because we are secure in our relationship with God. We're we're secure. Reading from verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil for Christ. Now, here comes our security. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. This security represents the fact that God can be trusted even in our most unimaginable hardships. Nothing whatsoever comes against the follower of Christ. Nothing is beyond the control of the risen and resurrected Christ. We have security in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the resurrection and the cross. Jesus was made alive in the spirit, meaning by the spirit of God in a perfectly renewed body. Jesus walked from the tomb. The power of the Holy Spirit raised him. We're secure in the cross. We're secure in the empty tomb. This becomes the message Peter shared in verse 18. Verse 19 through 21. Verse 19, after being made alive, he, meaning Christ, went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, not the physical baptism, but the union with Christ demonstrated in baptism as a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have security through the eternal life and through the union that we have with Jesus. Jesus has conquered all. All the barriers are removed. We have a union with him. And in verse 19, we read that Jesus, though put to death, was made alive in the spirit through which he spoke to the spirits in prison who disobeyed in the days of Noah. Uh, Though some scholarship interprets these verses as a literal descent of Christ into hell, others contend that this is not the best interpretation. Um, Some interpret this passage through how Jesus viewed his entire mission, announcing freedom to the captives as as seen in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. Uh, This indicates that This release from captivity was preached by Jesus to those who were living people and not fallen angels or dead human beings. Uh, There's another uh, interpretation of these verses. Some observe the attributes of the Son of God as omnipresent and eternal, as well as his interrelatedness with the Holy Spirit. Uh, This perspective prompts a reference 
to the pre-incarnate Son of God, speaking through Noah to the sinners of Noah's day by the Spirit, warning them of God's impending judgment. But others hold tight to the context of verse 18 to understand these verses, wherein Jesus was made alive in the Spirit, and in that very state, his resurrected existence, he has proclaimed to all people for all time that only through his death and resurrection can one find peace with God. So regardless of how you might translate the actual statement that Christ has preached to those in prison, and I've given you several of the most popular translations, the contextual meaning is impossible to miss. His cross and resurrection are sure and necessary, and Jesus stands as judge over all who reject him. Now, the purpose of this message is not to argue interpretations of these difficult verses. For even Martin Luther, the great reformer, said of verse 19 and 20, and I quote, a wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know with certainty exactly what Peter did mean. So to hold to the Right context, I'd like to refer to a beloved Bible scholar many years ago. His name is William Barclay, who said this. It may be that we ought to think of this as a picture painted in terms of poetry rather than a doctrine stated in terms of theology, demonstrating three great truths. And then Barclay gives us these truths. First, Jesus not only tasted death, but he drained the cup of death. Second, the triumph of Christ is universal meaning available to all who will call upon the Lord in this life. And then third, there is no corner of the universe where God's grace has not been made available. So Jesus has proclaimed in his life, death, and resurrection to everyone, past, present, and future. And he has pronounced by his ascension to all principalities of darkness that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So holding fast to the context of these verses, we observe that nothing in all of existence, past, present, or future, is out from under the authority of our risen head, Christ himself. For all that he has conquered, he is in absolute authority over every life, irrefutable savior of those who trust him, judge of those who do not. He can handle your adversities and your adversaries. You are without question secure in him. Finally, verse 22. He who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. We have security because at this very moment, he's our high priest interceding for us at God's right hand. So in this security, we, we bless, we, we do not curse. Hebrews 12, 2 describes him at the right hand of God. And, and Romans 8, 34 is both instructive and comforting. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's ever interceding for us. So, oh, we have security in Christ. And this is why we, we bless others. We, we're, we're held by him. He has us. Remember those verses? from the Psalm 34. He's our standard. He's our Lord. He's our sanctified Lord over our lives. And, and he's our security. He's conquered all that there is to conquer, to bring us to God. You're secure in him. Now, there's no need to, to fear, but we fear, do we not? There's no need to grow anxious. But sometimes we do. There's no need to fight back in the flesh. 
But at times that impulsiveness is so easy. The Holy Spirit instructed Peter to write these clear and careful words, reminding us to center on Jesus Christ and with our faith in him to recognize the blessings, the spiritual blessings we have so that indeed we can bless others. I don't know if you remember those real big, heavy iron merry-go-rounds that used to be positioned in playgrounds. All of my daughters were raised playing on those big, heavy instruments that were a lot of fun. I remember once we were at a, a local park and uh, some of the equipment was dated and there in the middle of the park was this huge, heavy merry-go-round made of iron and there was a well-worn trench all the way around from years of children's play and Oh, our daughters did what your children have done. Oh, Dad, we want to get on the merry-go-round. So they ran, and we checked to make sure that it was safe. They jumped on the merry-go-round. And then you know what? My girl started crying out, Dad, push you. So I grabbed those heavy iron bars and began spinning that that old squeaky merry-go-round. And finally, we 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 woke up the, uh, the center joint, and it began to spin a little bit. So I was pushing my girls, and they were holding on, leaning back. And you know what? They were screaming out, Dad, faster, faster. So I began pushing as hard as I could. This was a, a heavy piece of equipment. And then one of my girls, I think I heard them say, Dad, is that all you have or something like that? Anyway, I felt challenged. So I started pushing this merry-go-round as hard as I could. Well, eventually, this heavy piece of equipment began to spin. My girls are holding on on the outside. Well, soon it began to spin so fast, I stopped running with it and realized, I don't know that I'm able to slow this heavy piece of equipment down. And then my girls became frightened. They had been holding on, but the G-force, as I call it, began to really increase. And they became scared, so they started screaming out, not, Dad, speed up, but, Dad, stop it, slow it down. I reached out to pause this heavy piece of equipment, but the, the metal bars were just bouncing right through my fingers and I was having a difficult time slowing it down. But before I could bring it to a complete stop, I decided to, to tell them to move. So instead of hanging on the outside where the force was greatest, I just told them, move to the center. So I'm yelling out, hey girls, dad's going to stop it, but move to the center. So my older daughter went straight to the center and she realized at the center, she was more balanced, there was less fear. And so she turned and grabbed her baby sister and pulled her to the center as well. And once they found themselves in the center, well-balanced and safe, of course, they began yelling again, Dad, make it go faster. The point of this is that sometimes life looks just like that merry-go-round. It's spinning. It's fast. And we feel like we're stuck on the outside, barely holding on and out of control. And what are we to do? We need to move to the center of our faith. Not church, not human relationships, not religious disciplines, but the center, which is Jesus Christ. The very reason that I believe God gave Peter these words, every single word, was to remind those Christians who were persecuted to move to the center. Yes, life is spinning and feels dreadfully out of control. Move to the center and focus on Jesus and then turn and bring someone to the center with you. That's being people of blessing. We are blessed with innumerable blessings in Christ. We looked at a few here. And in our own spiritual blessings, we turn and bless others by inviting them into the center. 
to focus on Jesus Christ. Yet times life feels out of control. Many right now, perhaps you, feel as if events are spinning so fast that all you can do is hold on. Go to the center, Jesus Christ. Understand the blessings spiritually that come from him and then be a blessing to others. Be a blessing to those in your home, those in your workplace, those on your school campus. Be a blessing by living in the blessing. And that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. I wonder if you have placed your faith in him. I encourage you now, go to the center, which is Jesus. The purpose of this worship time is not just to invite you to be a part of something really good, but to focus on Jesus. He's our center. He's, he's the point wherein we feel balanced, where we feel safe because we are safe with him. He's our defense. He's our standard. He's our security. He has us. And oh, if you want to be a blessing to your family, to those around you, if you truly desire, like that Olympic swimmer, to say, hey, my, my goal is not to win a medal. My goal is actually my purpose, to bless others in the way that God in Christ has blessed me. Can that be your goal today? Can you say, like my dear friend Beth Ireland, I am blessed, and because of that, I'll be a blessing through Christ to others. I pray that you can say that today, but it begins with Jesus. On our screen right now is a texting number and a, a website location. Uh, that information is there because if you need to speak to someone right now about what it means to focus on the center, uh, by going to the, to the place where we all need to be focused, and that's Jesus. If you need to speak to someone about what it means to trust Jesus, we're here for you right now. Don't wait another moment. You know, the scripture says if we confess Christ as our Lord and believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved from our sin. We won't have to live on the outside of that spinning merry-go-round. We can be where it's safe and where, where God has us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? Reach out now. You know, you can, you can pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I I know you died on the cross and rose again for me. And I, I repent of my sin and I turn to you, Jesus. I give you my life. Oh, I hope that that prayer is yours. And if you've never shared that heart with Jesus, would you do that now? And use that information and reach out. And we truly desire to encourage you. Dear friend, so glad you were here today. Let's truly live as people of blessing. I'd love to pray with you. Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us your word. Thank you that we realize practical steps to take to be a blessing to others, but those steps are empty without truly living in the blessing that you have brought to us through Jesus. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the spirit of your word and the truth that, uh, that stands forever. And thank you for those who are turning to you now. And thank you for those who are strengthening in their faith as we all desire to walk and to live as people of blessing. Father, even in our sufferings, the blessings that you give in us and through us can be proven, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again soon. Stay tuned for some announcements. God bless you. Love you a lot. Take care.